Amen. Thank you, Jane. Good morning, everybody. Good morning online to those of you watching. This is our second service, so I expect some extra juice from the room. Come on. You slept in a little bit, got to come to church, get your worship on. I don't know about you, but my watch goes off during worship like, are you running right now? Um, no, I'm just out of shape. Thank you, Siri, you know. Um, my name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm very, very thankful to be here with you this morning. Did y'all enjoy the last couple Sundays getting to hear Earl speak, our campus director, on boldness? Earl's going, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, and, and my wife last week put some love deposits in the bank. She's amazing. She's beautiful. She's talented. She's, she's smarter than me. She's better than me. Um, all of those things. So you hear that, honey, wherever you are. Uh, you're great. She was. She was absolutely fabulous. Hey, I want to start today as we dive into one of our values as we continue this Family Matters series. Before we start, though, I want you to look at this picture on the screen. Um, if you're from West Texas at all, you might recognize this. This is circa early 90s picture of South Plains Mall. You say, why are you showing this picture? Because I have a story to tell you today. Are you ready for story time, family? I remember when I was young, and when I was young, I'm 41 years old, so I was born 1980. Uh, I moved to Lubbock, Texas when I was 10 years old, about 1990 I spent about five years in Lubbock, Texas, before I ended up moving all over. I kind of lived a lot of different places. Uh, my family just dragged me around. I said, I, I never did drugs, but I was drugged everywhere. Uh, all around, my, my family just moved and constantly changing environments and places. And so for about five years of my life, this place was like the hub of my teenage life. Because there was no internet when I was that age. Not really. Maybe dial-up began a little bit, but ain't nobody trying to remember dial-up. You know what I'm talking about? So there was not a ton to do. You actually had to, like, go outside and do things, uh, find things to do. Uh, how many of you guys remember being outside, your parents locking you outside, anybody, and just saying, hey, if you need water, here's the water hose? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, anybody else have horrible parents? Yeah, okay. Me too. I'm not getting juice yet. I remember... Going to the mall on the weekends because that's what you did. That's where you got girls if you're a young man. Oh, yeah, come on. And in Lubbock, Texas, there was just one mall to choose from. This is not Houston, Earl. So I just had one mall to choose from. And South Plains Mall was the one. You could go in, you could build a bear, get some food, watch a movie, and then sneak into Spencer's Gifts. Not tell your parents, because you're not supposed to go in there. At least maybe that's just my, my life. But we would spend the day, we spent hours at this mall hanging out with friends, meeting there. Our parents would drop us off, and that's what we would do. We would go to the mall. And I remember going to the mall and being mesmerized by this thing on the screen called a stereogram. Anybody know what a stereogram is? Go to that next slide. This. Anybody remember these things? These were hot in the 90s. I mean, if you don't recognize this, you're not living, okay? And I do remember going 
into the mall like it was yesterday and seeing this thing for the first time because there was a crowd of people around it trying to figure out what it is. And, and what it is is you get like really close to it, almost kind of go cross-eyed a little bit. Then you slowly drag your head away and you will see what looks like just craziness. You will see a 3D image. Anybody else? I had a friend who had one of these in his room. And that's where I actually learned how to use it. Because I remember going to the mall, and I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I'm trying to get girls. You know, I didn't want to be that guy that was like, oh, what am I doing? But you look at that thing from a distance, and it doesn't make any sense, like what you're looking at right now. It doesn't come into focus. It just looks crazy. And I remember going to my friend's house, and he had, like, a poster on the wall. And, like, learning how to look at it. And for the longest time, I, no matter what, I could not see it. And then one day... I was able to do it, cross my eyes enough, you know, tilt my head, look back slowly to be able to see. This is actually, you can't see it from here without doing the whole deal, is a camel. It's a 3D picture of a camel. But once you kind of see it, it's hard to unsee it, and you want to see it again. Because from a distance, you can't see it. You have to kind of get close to understand it. You say, why are you talking about this? Because today, we are going to be talking about a value of diversity. And when it comes to this value of diversity, the church has not always gotten close enough to God to see how passionate he is about this thing called diversity. A lot of times we look at God at a distance or look at people at a distance or look at scripture at a distance. And we don't get close enough to see the bigger beauty and picture and 3D image that is staring us right in the face that God is about bringing all people back together from every tribe and every nation. And we can miss it, and we can even look at Scripture, look at God, look at the church, and go, that's ridiculous, that looks dumb from a distance, that makes no sense. If you don't see the bigger picture of what God is doing, it hits you in the face, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I'm venturing here to say as the church, and as we talk about diversity today, we do have to talk about the fact that the church has not done very well at this in the past few hundred years. I would venture to say the early church, the beginning, was extremely diverse. Most of the book of Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, they are constantly hitting this idea that all of these different cultures have come together. And this is now how to live together because this is the goal and the plan of Jesus. And yet over the years... The church has distanced itself and almost become like this weird character, this weird looking picture where people don't get it because the church is either ignorant or afraid to dive into this area because they like their little tribes and their comfort zones. And if you've been hurt by the church in this area, I could say, as a pastor, I'm sorry. This is one of the reasons why our church exists. Not to say we're better than anybody else, but we are passionate about this value and making it not just words on the wall, but what is actually happening down the hall. That's part of our vision and our passion. We're sitting here in a series called Family Matters, the idea of like gathering around your family around the table to talk about what matters in our family, who we are, 
having those conversations. And we talked about some different values. The first one we talked about with, was authenticity. We say authenticity is our approach. We started with that, and then we had a panel just ask us anything because we want to display that we want to have conversations. Many of you have gone to church, and they say, just have faith. Don't ask questions. And we say, no, 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 because there's no such thing as blind faith. There is a reasonable faith. Let's talk about it. Let's look deeper into it, start seeing the image of how to live this thing out. So we're passionate about being genuine and authentic and coming with your questions as, as well as your concerns. And let's reason together. Let's talk. Let's not just play church. Let's be church. Another value of ours that we discussed is boldness. And boldness is our passion. The word passion doesn't mean what you're excited for. It's what you're willing to suffer for. We're willing to suffer for the gospel to go out because we are unashamed of the gospel. That's boldness. I, that, Two yes, amens. All right. I need, I need some help here. It's not because it's not for me. It's for you. I'm not insecure. <laughs> Creativity is a passion. And it's our light. Last week, my wife talked about this. It's the light that lights the path to the beautiful story of the gospel that's life-changing. And that light in the midst of darkness is the thing that draws us. And today we're talking about diversity, and I would say it this way, diversity is our calling. As a church, it's not just a pithy statement, it's not just something that we talk about, but it's something that we are doing our best to think and be about. Before we get into that, I want to show you like this picture. Let's get close to the scripture. Let's get close to who God is so that we can then extract this 3D image of what the story of the Bible is all about, of, of the picture that we miss a lot of times in our life, in our tribalism, in our divisions and culture, that only Jesus, I will say this, can fully and completely restore. And it's the church's job to do the work of it. I'm going to walk you through scripture. We're going to look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Are you ready? You came here to learn the Bible, right? Here we go. Genesis 1. Here's what we're going to be looking at today. Genesis 1, we see creation. Genesis 3, we see the first rebellion, the fall of Adam and Eve, the death and estrangement from God. Genesis 6 is this actual second rebellion we see in Genesis, and it's an acceleration of depravity across the earth. Genesis 11 is a third rebellion that God is trying to display in his word to us of what happened, how we got here, what's the story that we entered into at birth. And this is the fragmentation of God's one family. Genesis 12 and Deuteronomy 32 then talks about this new family that God establishes. Acts 2, the redemption of God's one family. And then Revelation 7, the restoration of God's one family. You ready? Let's dive in. Let's look at Genesis one, so that we can get close and see what Scripture and what God is trying to tell us about who he is and what we're supposed to be doing. Genesis 1, we see God creates man on the sixth day. And it says this, so God created man in his own image. You hear us use this word all the time, imago Dei, imago Dei, imago Dei. That's just Latin. Imago means image of, Dei means God. 
It's Latin for the image of God. God created man in his own image. And what you need to understand is when this was penned, it was written to the children of Israel to help them understand the story that they're in so they could see up close the beauty of what's happened because everything they've been preached was that you were created by a bunch of different gods that the Egyptians have told you about. And these gods just want you to be their slaves and created you actually to do work for them. And Moses comes in through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and God specifically and says, no, here's why I created man. And he says this, I created him in my image, displaying who I look like in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, not just God cursed them to serve him and slave under them, but blessed them. God is a God of giving and order and love. And this is what we need to see in Scripture in the midst of all our questions. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You need to understand this. God created them and says, now what I've created, I didn't create you because I need you. I created you because I wanted to share the display of love and beauty with you. And I wanted to share it with people. So you do the same. You go and share it and multiply and breathe fruit. This is a great God, a giving God, a loving God. This is the picture that we start with, with who God is. And this is the thing that helps us understand the story of God. Then we see Genesis 3. We know about the fall. We don't have time to go through every little thing, so I'm just going to give synopsis here. The death and estrangement from God. God says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you choice because he is good. He did not create robots. He didn't say, you have to serve me. He said, I'm going to actually give you volition. I'm going to give you a choice. And so the first thing he said to them was, you are free. Don't you enjoy your freedom? You are free to eat of anything. Look at everything. Look at the buffet line you have. But not this one tree because I want you to serve me and trust me out of your own will. And we see in Genesis 3, this giving, loving God gives this opportunity for free will. And man and woman decide to go against it. Now, many times people read the Bible and say, Wow, this is just about an apple. What kind of God, what kind of trivial, petty God is this over an apple? That's not the understanding of the story. We miss the forest for the trees so many times in Scripture because we're reading things like Genesis and going, okay, so how old is the earth? And God's going, that's not the story I'm trying to tell you. You're looking at the picture wrong, and you're missing the beauty of the 3D image. The number one image we need to see is the beauty, vastness, and love of our God. That's what you should be getting out of this. And then you see man and woman not just eating an apple, but literally saying to God, divorcing themselves from him, saying, I'm going to go my way. You say what's good, but I'm going to say this is good. And I'm going to go my way. They were tricked and they were tempted, yes, but they chose to rebel. And this was the first rebellion, and it brought about death spiritually. Like if you're on the phone talking to somebody and all of a sudden you can't hear them and you're going, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? This is what happened to our spirit. It broke the chain upon sin, entering the world like a virus taking over and corrupting us from the inside out. And we see the effects of that. It brought death and estrangement from God. 
Then we see in Genesis 6, which what I would call the second rebellion, and what God is trying to show us in these scriptures of what has happened and ultimately this depravity of man. And you see an acceleration of depravity across the earth to the point where God says he's sad that he even created people. You understand this. He's going, this was not my intention. This evil is not my intention. If you're struggling today with evil, you need to understand evil is merely perverted goodness. And we pervert it all the time. And we see the depravity of it in Genesis. And he's trying to paint this picture that he has good for us. And we spoiled it after our own desires, after our own ambitions, after our own ideas of what is truth and what is good. And God at this point, we see, brings a flood and says, okay, I'm starting over. And I'm going to start with this one family. And what's interesting is then after the flood, what does he do? He goes to Noah and the family, and he issues the exact same command as Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. He tells Noah and his family, here we go. Start over. Reset. Here we go. Be fruitful and multiply. And then we see Genesis 11, it's called the fragmentation of God's one family. God has created everybody. This is where the disbursement of diversity began, of divisions and tribes began. Let's look at this because there's a little more happening than people just building a tower and God going, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. Here's what it says. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks. Does this sound like Genesis 1? Let us make man in our image. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Let us create. And they had Brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, our own Garden of Eden, a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What was the commandment? Multiply and go across the whole earth, displaying my glory. Not just doing everything I tell you to do all the time, but in relationship with me, take that to the ends of the earth. And they said, nope, we're going to create our own thing in our own way, in our own rebellious act. In fact, we're going to create our own temple, our own garden of Eden that's going to go to the heavens to make the gods come to us. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. What you need to understand is this fragmentation of God's one family. And here's what happened. Here's here's what you got to understand, because this is part of the story that you were born into, the war that you're born into. And if you don't understand this bigger picture, you're not going to get values. You're not going to get the understanding of even what God's trying to do on earth. And you're going to think all Jesus is here to do is take you to heaven instead of bring heaven on earth. God says, I've already destroyed the world. That didn't work. And we tried to start over. Depravity got worse to the point you're not doing what you were purposed to do, what's going to give you ultimate life. 
I have to divide you and I have to divorce myself from you. And what he did, there, I want you to understand in the Bible, there's, there's more characters than just God and people. We have animals, we have plants, but God, there is an unseen, a spiritual realm in Scripture, throughout Scripture. And in this spiritual realm, God says, I'm done with these people. And he disperses them around the world and tells the other spirits, entities, you govern them, I'm done with them. You govern them in my way, but I'm done right now. Because all of the hurt, all of the anguish that they are causing, not just to him, but to all creation. You have to understand this happening. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 12. The next thing we see is this man named Abraham or Abram. And God says, I'm going to choose this guy. And this is the ultimate underdog move. Like, if you like sports and you always go for the underdog, I love to go for the underdog. That's why I'm a Texans fan. Uh, so, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Uh, but watch out. I'm still in Texas. I know. I love the underdog stories. And here's what God says. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the nations. I'm going to divide them. Let you have it because this is what's God called God's passive judgment. His exact judgment was the flood, but his passive judgment is what Romans 1 says. I'm going to let them go to their own devices. If you want that, go after it. Do whatever you think you want to do. This is a gracious way to say, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Go for it. And he does that. He disperses them. And he says, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab this one man, and out of this family, I have a redemption plan to bring everyone back. Out of these people, I'm going to make these people my people, and I'm going to love them and care for them and come under them, and we are going to work the plan of redemption for all people. So he has to do this work initially, and I'll prove it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses is they're out of Egypt. He's talking to the children of Israel, trying to help them understand their history, where they've come from, who God is, and what's happened in their life. And he says this, Moses says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. Watch what he says, verse 8. When the Most High, that would be Yahweh, God of gods, gave to the nations their inheritance... When he divided mankind, he's talking about the Genesis 11, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. That word is sons of Elohim, lowercase God. In other words, he divided them, sinned them, you take over. This is why in the Bible, like you see Daniel say, I was praying, or the angel comes to Daniel say, I was praying, but I was stuck. The prince of Persia. This is where Paul gets his worldview of dominions and powers and authorities. This is where it comes from. It's not made up. It's from the beginning. And he says, this is what God did. And this, look what he says. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. He said, I'm going to take these guys. And the ultimate underdog move, it's going to be me versus all others with these people. Of course, he could like Thanos snap and be done with it. But he said, I'm going to choose you. He found him in a desert land in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. 
He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. These were the Lord's people and who he nurtured. Look at the imagery that's trying to gather. God's not just angry. He's saying, I've got a plan and I'm going to use these people. Now, we get to, of course, Jesus coming in and the book of John says, Though he was God, no one recognized him as God. If you've ever been in a room and felt lonely, imagine being among your creation and no one knows who you are. God understands loneliness, hurt, pain, rejection, way more than us. And it's that compassion that allows us to go to him for healing. Jesus comes on the scene, says things like, I did not come to be served, but I come to serve. He says, I've come to lay down my life on a cross in order to bring you back because his idea was not just restoring Israel to some rightful state, but to bring all God's children back. And he will say these words as he's up north in a Gentile area called Caesarea Philippi, and he's talking to Peter, and he will look at this cave and this mountain, this area that is called the gates of hell because they believe that's where the underworld came out and originated through a spring. And he will say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what he says is, I've got not just this one family now, what I'm going to do Look what he's done. Look what he's won. I'm going to restore all the earth back into oneness and community through this entity called the church. And the gates of hell won't prevail. What's interesting about that is just a couple hundred years later, that place that was a source of idol worship and sexual perversion ended up becoming, through an earthquake, destroyed, and then they started planting churches on top of it. Jesus said, I'm positioning my church in order to restore the people that I lost from the beginning. Redemption. And we see this restoring of God's one family in Acts chapter 2. Let's check out. Redemption of God's, redemption of God's one family. When the day of Pentecost arrived, after Jesus had died, resurrected, told the 120 to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit, says this, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I want you to think about Genesis 11, God dispersing all the people in his frustration and divorce, and now this rushing wind, including and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. It's like God has a plan or something. Under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them hearing them speak in his 
own language. God dispersed culture and language. And then after the cross and the issuing of his spirit says, I'm bringing back a language, back a people, oneness where it was broken. And it took Jesus to do it. No law. No more laws. Not that laws in and of themselves are bad, but laws will never change the human heart because we will figure out how to get around it. Diversity without unity, godly unity, is dangerous because ultimately our mind will rationalize what our heart wants. And our heart wants to be number one center, the best. This is the root of racism. Hatred. Hatred of the other. Someone not like me. And that root only gets uprooted through the gospel of Jesus. And if the church doesn't step up and preach it and live it, we will not ever get over it. Because we need a new heart. And that's what Jesus came to do. He fills the place. And look what it says. Verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Not only, not only just our language, but our dialect, everything. We are hearing the oneness God has brought back. And then they name all of these. And what you need to know, this is from east to west, every one of these. It's like God said, I'm including everybody. Parthians. Medes, Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. I mean, they are just listing. And there's a reason why the author is listing these particular ones. Because these were part of the nations that were dispersed at the beginning. God says, they were all in the room and I brought them. At the end here, verse 13, they're saying, what does this mean? They were amazed. And some of them, I love how the, how the Bible is very authentic because it says, but some people just mocked and said they're filled with new wine. These guys are crazy. Can you imagine hearing someone in your own language and dialect, knowing they don't know it, and still rationalizing, going, ah, they're drunk. I don't know any drunkards that do that. But I love that the Bible mentions that because not everybody just comes and believes. The obstinance in our own heart keeps us from the beauty of God's call. Here's the deal. That's the redemption of God's one family that Jesus, one, finished. And now we continue to call out. That's why I use the word redemption. Because the next thing we will see all the way from Genesis, here we go to Revelation 7, is the restoration of God's one family that we see in Revelation 7 that says this, after this, John gets a vision. He says this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. From Genesis to Revelation, if you don't see the story of God and his redemptive work, you can easily dismiss the words of God to say, well, that's just for spiritual things. 
and not realizing God is looking at things holistically. That word salvation doesn't mean just your spiritual life. It is the whole of you, spirit, soul, body. God wants to restore, and he wants to use a church that is lovingly militant, going out, getting those that are God's again, saying, come home. If we don't get this theologically, we will not live it out. Here's the question. Why do some churches not live it out? Some of it's ignorance. Some of it is the state of the church a lot of times that we've seen in the United States specifically that it is, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, one of the most divided, segregated times throughout the week in America. I love that this is a value of ours and we do our best to live it out. When people ask, how do you have such a diverse church? Because people ask me as if, like, I have everything to do with it, which I don't. But I will say there's effort involved. There's grace of God, but there's effort involved. I heard one pastor say, well, if that's your gift, then y'all just do that. And I'm sitting here going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're putting it all on God, which I, it starts with God. But we have to actually work it, too. And people ask me, how do you have a diverse church? And I'll, I'll say, well, let me see your phone. Okay? Let me see your favorites. If everybody looks like you, you're never going to have a diverse church. Because if it's not a personal value and conviction to reach out to people different than you, get out of your comfort zone, learn compassion and empathy, wanting to hear people's story, seeing the glory of God in all people in the Imago Dei, and pursuing those relationships instead of just the ones that look like me and the homogenous things, you'll never be able to do it. You can't hack this thing. God builds it, but he builds it in people that are passionate about it because we see it as a gospel mission and narrative, not as some kind of neat things we would like to put on a website. Well, why am I passionate about this? Because I've been doing this 20 years, guys. People say, who are you? You're just some white pastor talking about diversity. Well, I've been living this 20 years. I'm not an expert but I've been fighting hard to understand my neighbor, to hear them when they're hurt. And I'll say, say this, part of it is not always agreeing, but always allowing God to soften my heart. I want to listen. I want to hear. I care about your struggle. I care about where you're coming from. I know my story and I know I have struggles, but I don't dismiss yours. Why? Because I know the mission of God is to bring all his children back under the banner and unity of Jesus. So we don't stand on some high hill saying, hey, we're diverse and we're better than any other church. I will not say I'm better than any other church. There's different churches for different people. There's great churches in the city that aren't diverse, but I will say we're more beautiful than other churches. Because the beauty of diversity and unity under the cross of Jesus, I learn so much more. I grow so much more. I'm expanded in my soul. And let me tell you, I have to fight for it. Why? Because if you're at City Life Church, there's going to be things in this church that are not in your preference. And the Bible says something about that in Philippians 2. Consider others better than yourself, not your preferences. 
because the gospel narrative is our common language. And I could say, I don't necessarily like your style of music or the way you might vote or these kind of things that could divide us in culture. But what's deeper is you love Jesus. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Because we're after the same person, even if we might go about it different ways. And we say this in our church, you better get real comfortable with being uncomfortable if you want to go to a diverse church. If you want me church, everybody dressed like me, acts like me, loves what I love. Seriously, City Life Church is not for you. Because the common goal we have is Jesus. And then the thing we fight for and struggle with and wrestle down is this idea. If any culture or one person is always happy, we're not doing it right. So we all have to kind of go, huh? But man, it's glorious. And the beauty of it is where the world looks in and goes, this is, I don't get it. And we say, exactly. And we start living out what Jesus says in John 17. They will know you by your worship music. And that's not what he says. They will know you by your miracles. That's not what it says. They will know you, that you're my disciple, by your love for one another. A love the world will try to manufacture and never be able to create, because even in the midst of saying, I'm inclusive, you're excluding somebody anytime you make a truth claim. Even the claim that all roads lead to the same place, that is a truth claim, guys. There's no such thing as full inclusion. And I venture to say Jesus is the closest because he says, if you faltered, you're welcome. If you sinned, you're welcome. Other people want to cancel you, I will receive you. If you received and you come in and you mess up, you're forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can made whole. Made whole. And I will actually use your gifts and your purposes where the gates of hell will not prevail. This is my church. And when the church abdicates its roles and we just wait for other people to do it, we get in the situations we're in. And let me keep preaching for a second. It's easy to kind of go, well, why are we in our world today if the gospel's so proud, so amazing? What about all the things that have done before? I would say things like racism is like a cancer. If you don't take care, it will come back. Not that it's ever been completely taken out, but don't, do not dismiss some of the progress made through the gospel in the name of seeing it come back. We got to get back to work is what we got to do and restore and reform the idea of what Jesus came to win. Are you with me? This is why we're passionate about this. And not only are we passionate about this by word or just say, hey, we're going to throw a little Jesus on it. We're working hard to make sure we're not just saying, hey, look at us, look around the room, look how diverse we are. But then everybody leaves and you go to your small group and everybody looks like you. We're passionate about also relationally connecting and pushing you out of your comfort zone to make sure you're doing life with people not like you. Because it's the best kind of life. We do this through recently, over the past few months, we've established a team we call DNA. DNA stands for dialogue, news, good news, and action. 
And this is kind of our threefold step to preserve and to be explicit and make sure we are pushing through this idea of diversity as a church. The, the goal of this team is this mission statement, forming a socially responsible church by providing tools and opportunities to help our church engage in Christ-like community. The first thing we do is dialogue. We've been doing this for a few years. We do these things in our church, if you're new, called rap sessions. We've got one coming up October 23rd at 5 p.m. I want to encourage you to register online, go to our website, go to the app, register for this. This is where we get around tables. We'll throw out a topic like gender, racism, something hot, and we will not sit there and just open the Bible and preach. We have other means for Bible study. This is a time to come and dialogue and talk. Because we believe we start with dialogue. We don't start with dogma. Although we're dogmatic about things, we start with dialogue. Let's talk. Come and let us reason together. Because there are good reasons why God's way is the best way. Let's talk about it. And we open the table and we have these discussions. We've got one October 23rd as a way to continue to make sure we are being strong in our diversity. Another thing that we're doing recently is we realize, hey, look where we are. We're close. We, we, we are passionate about university campus and we're on these campuses, but we also are passionate about some of the biggest struggles we're seeing and specifically HISD. And the area that we are being so close and being in HISD, some, I live in Pearland, other people live all over, but we've, the Lord's been really convicting me. Why are you here? Why are you in this place if not to touch your neighbors? And so we've been talking to a different, an organization called Loving Houston about how can we get involved in HISD and adopt a school. Check out this video to hear Beth and Carrie talk a little bit about what this looks like. Hey City Life, Carrie McFarland here, and we want to talk to you about a new way that Beth and I have been talking about, and many others within our church, of how we are going to engage our community and love on our community as we do in other ministries. So we're wanting to add something new, so I want to pass it on to Beth to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so another way that we'd love to serve our local community um, with our fixed, uh, with our church building in Southeast Houston. Um, being in the HISD school district, we want to make sure that we love on our community well. Most of us have gone to school at some point, right? Um, a lot of us work there, we have kids who go to school, um, maybe not in that district, but somewhere nearby. Um, so we want to partner with an organization called Loving Houston to make sure that our local schools feel well equipped and supported and loved on by the church. Um, one of the first ways we want to start supporting our local schools and getting involved is with the foundation of prayer. Um, so you'll see Loving Houston has a great toolkit that we'll link here somewhere. Um, we'd love to have everyone engage their groups and their families and friends um, and praying for our local schools as we get started yeah. um, with this new way to love our community. Yeah. And so we cannot wait to see you guys participate in this way. Again, the first is through prayer. And so while you're praying, I encourage you to imagine what it would look like to see our schools, particularly HISD, flourish and how we can be a part of that. So we can't wait to tell you more. Don't forget to be praying. You know, there's so many needs out there and it's hard to pick just one. 
You know, we fight human trafficking. We're passionate about campus ministry, uh, passionate about uh, orphan care and those that do not have homes and families. These are things that we do and pray about as a church. And this is a new area that we're starting with prayer, but also talking to one specific school. But in the midst of COVID, trying to figure out how we get in, what we do. And uh, so we're praying and talking to them. And I wanted you to hear this firsthand as a part of who we are, outstretching and talking about being kingdom people and restoring people, and we believe schools and kids are the best way to go for us as a third arm of what we do. I want to introduce you to our DNA team uh, and have uh, Kenneth and Brianna Franklin make your way up here. Uh, Michael Adetu, Shawnee Bell, Beth Flatley, Kenneth and Brianna Franklin, Kayla Jackson, who is now officially part-time staff with us. We love Kayla. Carrie McFarland plus one because she has a baby. Uh, Jay and Christine Ross, who are our elders that are leading the DNA team and overseeing it. Sarah Smith and Keisha Williams. I want to highlight Kenneth and Brianna Franklin and have them come up and share with us a little bit why they're passionate. Do you have a microphone? You good? Come on up here. Why they're passionate about this idea of diversity. Okay, clearly I'm going first. How City Life, what's going on? Uh, my name is Kenneth Franklin. I am part of the uh, DNA team. Uh, one of the main reasons why I am passionate about what we have going on uh, is I think about um, initially, not only are we reconciled to Jesus, right, with our relationship with him, but we're also called to be reconcilers of men, right? Um, and so I, I remember being a dude totally unchurched, right? Not really knowing the Lord. And this big, uh, big 6'5", redheaded white dude approaches me on the basketball court. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I, I've re- seen you in the youth group. I want to talk to you. And the first thing I thought was, brother, we have nothing in common. Why are we talking? You know what I mean? But as I built a relationship with him, I realized that though we, we didn't always speak the same language, um, as, I, as I come to know the Lord, we, we, we spoke a common one, right? And that was that, that Jesus has redeemed the people for himself, right? And he wants to continue to redeem mankind. And so we do that through the tenets of this ministry. Dialogue, news, and action, right? Speaking to one another, giving the good news, and then having the action to get involved in people's lives, communities, and pursuits. To know their culture in a way that we may not have known before because the gospel has changed us from the inside out. And so that is one of the main reasons why I'm excited, I'm passionate, um, and look forward to continuing the work that we have going on at DNA. Hi guys, good afternoon. Again, my name is Brianna. Um, my story is kind of very different from my husband's. He was virtually unchurched. I'm from Houston, Texas, the South. All of us have been churched in some form or fashion. It is the Bible Belt, guys. Um, so I have been in church my whole life. Um, Southern Baptist, Kojic, or Church of God in Christ, to just Baptist. I don't know the difference between Southern Baptist and just Baptist, but there's a difference. So that's there. Then Church of Christ. And then I've just been in a rainbow of churches, right? Um, 
the last church I stopped at was actually my grandfather's church, which was a Church of God in Christ church. Not only was it my whole family there, but everybody looked like me, even if they weren't my family at this one church. Um, so I was there, I was being trained up, I was teaching, cool. But I remember being impacted by a good friend one day. Um, and we had like a nine hour conversation, like nine hour conversation. He's like, hey, I heard about this other church. Would you, I mean, just go, you know, just see. I'm not telling you to leave your grandfather's church. I'm just saying, go and see and you know, whatever. At Church of God in Christ, we, we shout, we sing a certain way. It's a certain set of songs. I went to this new church. I had never heard songs sang this way. I had never seen such calm. And in my mind, I was like, did we have church or was this just a meeting? Like what just happened, right? But the church that I went to, not only had people that looked like me, but they also had different cultures there and they were all together. And there was a, a variety of music as well. So I'm really excited about being a part of DNA because I'm really grateful to be part of a church that is not a monolith of thought, but we are together on mission. And so I'm just passionate about it. I'm glad to be with you guys, and I'm glad that a body has one focus of not just liking diversity, but creating structure to have and create diversity. So thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Again. How do you uphold a value if you don't debrief it, talk about it, figure it out? What are we gonna do? And this is huge for us. So we would encourage you, um, if you wanna know more, come to rap sessions. Um, we've got some other things that we're developing right now, like a relational foundations class to be able to have some dialogue and talk about this and what does God say about it? I just gave you a big overview, a lot of, lot of word. I hope you're encouraged today. I want to encourage you as well, get your uh, communion out because one of the things as we start to close down, we've got announcements and we're wrapping up. But one of the things, Jesus instituted what's called a sacrament. There are two sacraments in the church Jesus instituted. Baptism, water baptism, and communion. And communion is a beautiful thing. We see in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, Mark says this, While they were eating, the disciples together, all very different, Jesus took bread and when he had taken and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said for them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. What I wanna highlight is two things. When he took the bread, it says he broke it this breaking, when you put it in your teeth, this breaking is supposed to be a reminder of what it took for God to reconcile us back to him and back to others. That it was a brokenness, that freedom ain't free, that peace costs something and reconciliation costs something. But not only did he just say, I'm gonna do this, he broke it and he handed it out and they all partook. This is a communal thing. It's not just your personal salvation. It becomes a public thing where not only am I saying, thank you, God, for forgiveness and I receive you, but I'm passing it to my neighbor in love that's different from me, that has a different background, maybe culture, and extending forgiveness as well where you've wronged me. 
the blood and the body of Jesus broken for us. I take, you take. And you notice it says this, they all ate, they all drank. It's just part of what we do as a church, as we do life together. It's messy, it's sticky, it's not easy. I'm not saying diversity is just always bliss. You might get hurt, but we come back to the table. And we say, Jesus, thank you for my forgiveness. I extend forgiveness to my neighbor. And we do this together. Take the bread. The body was broken. In the same manner, we take the cup and drink and pass along what Jesus has done for us. Take and drink. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for bringing in your beautiful trinity the unity, the love, the beauty. Thank you for restoring that to us. Let us be on your mission with you to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.